Okay, so 1 Chronicles 18. What we are going to learn in 1 Chronicles 18 is about David's victories over his enemies and Israel's enemies. But before we can do that, I feel like we need to learn about some of the victories that David had in his life up to this point in history. So some of David's victories. Alright, so the first victory is, and these are just like a few. These aren't even in any way, shape, or form comprehensive because he had so much victory in his life. So I just hit the high, high notes. The first one is anointed to be king. Okay, that was his first victory. And in 1 Samuel 15, we learn that due to Saul's sin, he was rejected by God as Israel's king and that he would be replaced. In verse 26, it says, And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And if you guys remember, like, it was a month and a half ago, the sin that he was in, the things he did against the Lord, led to the Lord um, just being disappointed in Saul. And he he actually um, repented of, of what he had done, and he said, okay, you're not going to be king anymore. So... He, the Lord told Samuel, the prophet, to go to David's father's house, Jesse's house, to find the next king. And we'll read about that in 1 Samuel 16. And we'll start in verse 7. It says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. Because that's what they did with Saul. Samuel saw Saul, and the people saw Saul. It's hard to say. And they recognized that he was a goodly, that he was, he was a very kingly person. Like, you looked at him and you were like, yep, that dude's the man. He would be a good king. But now he's telling Samuel, don't do those things, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And then Samuel goes and looks at all David's brothers, and except for David. And Samuel said unto Jesse, in verses 11 through 13, and here all thy children, are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of beautiful countenance and goodly to look at. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. I'm talking about David, this is he. He's the one that, that I've, that's going to be anointed king. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So even though he was of goodly countenance and he did look pleasing to the eye, that's not why he was anointed. He was anointed because of verse 7 where it says that the Lord looketh on the heart. And so David's victory in this was that he had spent his life choosing to love God. Okay, Hebrews four twelve through thirteen says, "For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do." So David chose to love the Lord. And God saw that otherwise he would never have been anointed king because this was the king that they needed. Okay. Next victory was David killed Goliath. So Goliath 
was threatening the armies of the Lord. And Goliath was this big giant. Oh, he was a Philistine. And there was a mountain on this side and a mountain on this side and a big valley in between. And every day, uh, Goliath would come down and he would challenge the armies of Israel saying, Hey, bring me a champion, your champion, the best of the best. We'll fight each other single combat. The winner gets to enslave the other people, basically. And they were afraid because it's like, that'd be like me going up to one of the middle schoolers and being like, Okay, you choose one of your peers to come fight me and we'll see who wins. And then I get to be lord over you. Yeah, that's not, that's not going to work out so well, you know, because Goliath. So we, when you look at um, historians, they, they, they say that he was somewhere between nine foot nine and 11 foot four. OK. Oh, sorry. That'll, that'll come back up again. That is a big boy. All right. Verses 10 through 11 says, and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel hold, heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I get it. They had size disparity, right? So, these are some big dudes here, right? This is Robert Wadlow. Robert Wadlow, he lived, I think he died in the 20s, I think, or the 30s. He was 8 foot 11. So this guy's eight foot eleven. His dad was like five eleven, eight foot eleven, and he's still not as tall as what they think Goliath as tall as he was, right? Eight foot eleven. Robert Robert Wadlow weighed four hundred and thirty nine pounds. Look how skinny he looks. You know what I mean? Like he's not he's not a built warrior, right? Then you have Andre the Giant. He was only he was only seven foot four inches, only seven foot four. Yeah, he's only a foot and four inches taller than me. But he weighed 500 pounds. 500 pounds. Can you guys see okay? Yeah, okay. And then you have Yao Ming, basketball player, right? One of the tallest ever. Seven foot six. Look at this dude. Look how small he looks. He's like stretching his calves and everything. Like, he looks tiny. He looks like Eliza compared to me. <laughs> Yao Ming was seven foot six, 315 pounds. So he was in pretty good shape. And look how tall he is. Yes. Okay. So this is Carrie Elwes. Is Elwes? Elwes, I can never pronounce his last name. Princess of the Bride. You guys seen that movie? Yes. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, it's pretty good. Uh, I'm not condoning it from the pulpit, but you should probably watch it at some point in your life. Uh, see how he just runs into him? Like Nothing. Like, okay, he moved him an inch. But that's, that's only because at this point in Andre's life, he was actually fairly sick. And he wasn't as spry as he used to be. He wasn't as strong because it was really, the wrestling he did was tough on his body. But look at him. He just runs into him. So could you imagine like trying to fight a giant? And Goliath is supposedly like two feet taller than him. Couldn't imagine. Okay. So, David... So Goliath had threatened God's armies, and David wanted to confront him because he had already fought a bear and a lion, and these aren't like little cub bears, like they're actual bears. Like big, they're called Syrian, a Syrian, not a Assyrian, a Syrian brown bear. And they're not as tall as like the big grizzlies, right? But they're, you know, standing up on all four legs. They're probably about this tall. I'm not going to fight a bear, you know? And then lions, they did have lions in that region. 
and they looked a lot like the lions in Africa. And David had already killed a bear and a lion, defending the flocks that he was supposed to look over, right? So he had he trusted in his in the abilities that God had given him, and David was willing to take the fight to Goliath. And so let's read in 1 Samuel 17, we'll start in 36. And this is David talking to Saul. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And verse 37 says, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. So David's a youth at this point. You know, there's conjecture. How old was he? He was anywhere from 15 to 20 years old. Okay. At 20, you were considered a man in ancient Israel times. That's when you could, you would be in the army. That's when you could marry and all that stuff. So he was younger than 20. So he could be your guys' age. Will, how old are you? 17. He could be Will. Will, Will could be David with that hair. I bet, I bet he was David. <laughs> Beautiful countenance. Nothing. <laughs> But David was willing to fight Goliath. He was like, all you men out here, all you warriors, you guys are cowering before them, but he's defying the the armies of God. He's defying the armies of God. I'll go fight him. And so, David killed Goliath with a stone. Just a rock. You know, I'd imagine it's probably about like that big. Not much, right? In 1 Samuel 17, 49-50, says, And David put his hand in his bag, and took thence a stone, and slang it, because he, he had a sling, slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon the face of the earth. So he got hit in the forehead so hard by this, by this rock, this stone, that it literally sunk into his forehead. And verse 50 says, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. So David didn't go into battle with the armor and swords and stuff. He went with a sling and a stone. And I I thought it was interesting. I don't know why I never saw this before. but So David killed Goliath with a stone. And Ephesians 2.20 says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Whoa. Peter, he was called the rock, that's right. And upon that rock, Jesus said he'd build his church. Stone. So you should study stone. I think that'd be a good, a good word study. So David's victory was... Choosing to trust in the Lord, not in man. Trusting that God would not let his people be defeated by the Philistine. God had proved to David that all he had to do was put his trust in the Lord. Because he trusted him for this lion. To, he trusted him for the protection of his flocks. And he fought the bear. He fought the lion. He put his trust in the Lord. And he knew that he would prevail against Goliath. First Samuel seventeen, thirty-eight and 39 says... This was before David fought. It says, And Saul armed David with his armor, with Saul's armor. And he put a helmet of brass upon David's head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had proved them not. He decided he didn't want to go, because he hadn't proved the armor. 
He hadn't proved the sword. He hadn't proved the helmet. He hadn't proved the mail. All he did was weigh him down and give him weapons that he didn't know how to use. Or if he didn't know how to use them, they weren't his. You ever like put someone else's clothes on? They just don't like spend the night at a friend's house or something. Hey man, can I borrow a shirt? And it just doesn't fit right. You guys ever done that? Like it's too tight or it's too big. It's better than wearing your dirty underwear for three days in a row. So what I'm saying is David put his trust in the Lord, not in Saul's armor, not in Saul's weapons. Because um, David hadn't proved them. But what had he proved? The sling and the stone. Alright, his next victory was that David avoided death in exile. That seems like a kind of a... Okay, he stayed alive. Well, during this time that, that David was in exile, so David defeated Goliath, it was accepted into Saul's house, and Saul, being Saul, was a little crazy. And he was jealous and afraid of David, because people saying of Saul that he killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands, because he had put David over charge of, of, his, of some of his army, and he was very victorious, he was very good at what he did, and so they put more trust in David's abilities to, do, to fight than in Saul's ability. And you can read about that. Oh, sorry. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 18. So this is a weird uh, artist's rendition of Saul. I mean, he does look crazy. And David, who... I don't know why he looks so... I don't know. Scared. I mean, he looks kind of wimpy. I'm not going to lie. But that was, that was the, what they did. That's how, this was this period's type of art. Uh but Saul he tried to he used a javelin to try to kill David. So Saul's a man of war. He said that he was good at it. And David's good at it. And he's got a javelin, he's got a spear, and he throws it at David and misses. I'd be kind of scared if there was a big dude, like a grown man, and I was a young strapling, a young teenager, and some grown man's trying to throw a spear at me. I'd be kind of afraid of that. Psalm thirty seven Verse 32 says, The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. So, we see that Saul was wicked, David was righteous, and Saul seeketh to slay David. And he tried to kill him some 20 times. So Sam had preached about this, I think it was last year, and he said that um, Saul tried to kill him 20 times. And I tried counting. I lost count. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Sam, Hey, uh, do you have that list? Because I'd really like to see that list. But he did try to kill him multiple, multiple times. And so David went into exile. He's hiding from Saul. They're moving around. He's gathering men around him who can support him. And Saul tried to kill him multiple, multiple times. And one example was when David was betrayed by the Ziphites. In 1 Samuel 23. So we have a Bible. You can turn there. 1 Samuel 23. It says, And David saw Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. So he's hiding in the forest in the wilderness of Ziph. Do you know where that is? The wilderness. Of Ziph. I don't know. Okay, so, Then came the Ziphites to Saul in Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood in the hill of Hikalah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? 
Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. So not only is Saul trying to kill him, but people are, are betraying David to try to get Saul to come kill him. So it's not like he's just running from Saul. He's running to places where the people who are there are also trying to get Saul to kill him. So yeah, I would say that that was quite a victory to avoid death while in exile. And he was in exile for, I think it was four to eight years, somewhere in there. Four to eight years. I don't think many of us would last four to eight days in the wilderness. So David's victory was that he chose to worship God and obey Him. And let's read Psalm 54. Psalm 54. This is a psalm written by David. When the Ziphims came and said to Saul, Doth not David hide himself with us? So this is, this is what David's writing about this situation. He says, Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them, Selah. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. So that's a... That's David's mindset um, when he was being betrayed. So, next victory. This is just the high points, right? David crowned king over all Israel. So David, when he was under Saul, he was an obedient subject. He was blessed in wisdom and gained a great reputation among the people. And this reputation lasted through Saul's reign of terror against David. 1 Samuel 18.5 says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. So whatever Saul had him do, he did. And he behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Okay? So when you're obedient, you're accepted of other people, right? But, verse 12-16 through says, and Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out, David went out and came in before the Lord and David or before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David. Because he went out and came in before them. He went out to do what Saul had, to, what had him to do. He was victorious and wise in what he did. And he always came back to bring the spoils to the people. He always came back to bring the goodness of what happened back to the people. And so they trusted him. And so that reputation lasted through the 20 years from the, the start of it all the way up to David being crowned king over all of Israel. That same reputation lasted. How many of you guys have a good reputation at school? I mean, seriously, like an actual good reputation. Because some of you guys, some I'm not in school, so I can say some of you guys, right? Um, some of you guys probably don't have a very good reputation in school. 
I mean, some of you were shaking your heads, no, you don't, so I'm just taking you at your word. But some of you are proud of it, and that's pretty sad. So, 2 Samuel 5, 1 through 3 says, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou was he that leddest out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at to Hebron, and King David made a league with them, and they anointed David king over Israel. So David's victory was choosing to remember God's promises. Because if you remember back in Psalm 16, verse 12 through 13, Samuel anointed David to be king. So throughout this whole 20-year process, David trusted the Lord that that's what was going to happen. He didn't try to force it. He didn't try to usurp Saul. He didn't try to assassinate Saul. He had had many chances to kill Saul, and he didn't. Instead, he chose to be obedient to the Lord and trust that God's promise would, would come in God's timing. All right, so let's look at, and we're now caught up, let's look at a victorious king. And we are going to read the chapter of chapter 18 of 1 Chronicles, 1 through 14. You guys ready? It's a lot of words. All right. Now, after this, it came to pass that David smote the Philistines and subdued them, and took Gath and her towns out of the hand of the Philistines. And he smote Moab, and the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. And David smote Hadarezer, king of Zobah, unto Hamath, Hamath, as he went to establish his dominion by the river Euphrates. And David took from him a thousand chariots and seven thousand horsemen and twenty thousand footmen. David also hoed all the chariot horses, but reserved of them an hundred chariots. It means he like cut the hamstring of the horses. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadarezer, king of Zobah, David slew of the Syrians two and twenty thousand men. Then David put garrisons in Syria, Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought gifts. Thus the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were of the servants of Hadarezer and brought them to Jerusalem. Likewise from Tibhath, from Chun, cities of Hadarezer, brought David very much brass, wherewith Solomon made the brazen sea and the pillars and the vessels of brass. That was part of the temple. Now when Tau, king of Hamath, heard how David had smitten all the hosts of Hadarezer, king of Zobah, he sent Had, Had, Hadaram, his son, to King David, to inquire of his welfare and to congratulate him because he fought against Hadarezer and smitten him. And he gave him a bunch of gold and stuff because it was like, you killed my enemy, therefore I'm going to give you a thankful gift. And then all the gifts, then, verse 11, them also King David dedicated unto the Lord and the silver and the gold that he brought out from all these nations, from Edom and from Moab and from the children of Ammon, from the Philistines and from Amalek. Moreover, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, slew of the Edomites in the valley of Salt, 18,000. And he put garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites became David's servants. Thus the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. So David reigned over all Israel and executed judgment and justice among all his people. So Israel had been suffering from all these enemies from the time they entered the promised land, right? So it was promised to them what they would have, and they're fighting these guys this whole time. And sometimes they defeated their enemies in big victories, and they had times of peace. And then there were other times where they were in slavery, and they were suffering. And so Saul had, when Saul died and left, left, quote-unquote, left David the kingdom, Saul, Saul 
Uh, sorry, I'm gesturing too much. <laughs> okay. Um, when Saul died, he was on a multi-front war. And if you know anything about fighting enemies in any way, shape, or form, you don't want to fight more than one at a time if you have to fight at all. Because if I'm fighting one person and two people, well, I can be surrounded. If I'm fighting six people all at once, that's going to be costly. Like the armies were suffering a lot and a lot of people were dying. And Saul, because of, every, because of this costly war, he ended up dying, him and his sons. And so now we're caught up in the timeline and we just read this. And so our, we're going to see, so before we had some victories and we saw how David's victory in that was my interp- what God showed me in that, what it was. Now we're going to see what David's victory was and then we're going to read about the victory. So David's victory in chapter 18 was that he chose to subdue his enemies. One of the victories was that David chose to subdue his enemies. And to subdue means to bend the knee. So it also means humiliate, vanquish, to bring down low, to bring into subjection. So in every instance, every people that he conquered, he was victorious by subduing them, by taking complete control of the people. Okay? So the Philistines, in verse 1, says that David smote the Philistines and subdued them and took Gath and her towns out of the hand of the Philistines. Okay, now 2 Samuel chapter 8 is a parallel chapter with 1 Chronicles 18. They're very similar, but each one has different nuances. Each one has a, a couple of different words that are different. And in 2 Samuel 8 verse 1, it says that David smote the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Methagamma out of the hands of the Philistine. Now, Methagamma literally means the bridle of the capital. So that'd be like conquering Missouri... Not only did he take the towns of Missouri, but he took the capital city of Missouri. Sorry, Jeff. Jeff City, you're gone. He took the capital. Because it wasn't like he just took part of the area. He took all of it. He took control of the capital. So the Philistines didn't have control of their land anymore. And I would just write down the references. I wouldn't write the whole verse down. Okay. So then he attacked the Moabites. And during this, this portion of the chapter... It is an unspecified amount of time. Because he didn't go one day and kill all the Philistines. Then the next morning go out and kill the Moabites. Okay, So all this is in an unspecified amount of time. I could not find an exact timeline for this. So the Moabites were actually distant relatives of the Israelites. And in verse 2 it says, And David smote Moab, and the, and the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. And in 2 Samuel 8, 2, it says, And he smote Moab and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground, even with two lines measured he to put to death, and with one full line to keep alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts. What that means is that he killed two-thirds of the Moabites. So y'all are gone. Y'all are all that's left. Bye. I mean, he killed two-thirds of them. That's... That was actually a, uh, a merciful thing to do. Because normally, if you're going to kill two-thirds, you might as well just kill the other third and be done with it. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he made the rest of them his servants. Okay. And then we have the Syrians of Zobah. And it says that David smote Hederazer, king of Zobah, unto Hamath. And he went to establish his dominion by the river Euphrates. And took from him a thousand chariots and seven thousand horsemen and twenty thousand footmen. 
David enslaved their army. It's like, I beat you. Now you guys are going to serve me in my army. And you're going to do what I tell you to do. And not only that, but he took their land from them to establish his dominion by the river Euphrates. Zoba, they had that area. David took it all back. He took it all. And then you have the Syrians of Damascus in verse seven or 5 and 6. Syrians of, of Damascus came to help Hedrezer, king of Zobah. So they came to help the other Syrians. And David slew of the Syrians two and 20,000 men. Then David put garrisons in Syria, Damascus. And the Syrians became David's servants and brought gifts. So not only did David destroy their army, he left an army of his own on their land and made them servants and made them pay tribute. So he put, he put a stake in this land and that would not allow them um, to build up an army to come against him. And then we have the Edomites in verse 12 and 13. says, Moreover, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, slew of the Edomites in the valley of Saul, 18,000. And he put garrisons, and David put garrisons in Edom. And all the Edomites became David's servants. So just like the Syrians of Damascus, he put garrisons, he put armies inside of Edom so that they could not build up an army and come against them. They could not revolt. And so all the enemy nations he subdued, thus fulfilling God's promise to Abraham, which is in Genesis 15, 18 says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And this is the first time in 14 generations since Abraham, that's almost 500 years, that they finally have in possession what was promised to them. 500 years for them to get to the great river Euphrates. 500 years for them to have their full capacity in the land. So David had a life that was full of great victories, but what truly made David have a victorious life? Okay? He chose to love and trust the Lord. So in every victory, he chose to do something. In his life, he chose to love and trust the Lord as a whole. Psalm 18, 1 through 3. This says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song, in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. So David here is purposing to do something. David's victories in his life came because he chose to do something. And by saying, I will do something, you are choosing to do something. By saying, I will not do something, you are choosing to not do it. Right? If you are choosing to do it later, then you're choosing to not do it now. If you're saying, I don't know about that, and you walk off, well, you've already made a decision. You're not going to do whatever it was is being offered to you. If someone says, hey, come smoke weed at my house. Mm, let me think about it. If you're truly thinking about it, then you're choosing not to do it. You haven't chose to do it yet, but you're close. 
right? You're either choosing to do something or you're choosing to not do something. So David was a man after God's own heart. Remember, the Lord sought him a man after his own heart, and he found David. So in his heart, he chose to do something. So in closing, I have two questions. Do you know the Lord? And if you do, will you choose to trust him as David did? See, some of us, however, can't trust someone we don't know. I don't know some of you guys very well. I'm not going to let you take care of my children. Sorry. Because I don't know you well enough. I don't, we don't go out and find babysitters like in Craigslist or Facebook or, or like word of mouth from people. Mm, sorry. If I don't know you, you're not watching my kids. So some of us can't trust someone we don't know. We can memorize the verses that as Danos gives us. We can memorize them, but what's the point? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not. Why do you memorize that? Because it's fun? Why do we memorize these verses if, we, if it doesn't really matter to us why we're doing it? I'm not going to memorize calculus if I'm never going to use it. All the, the theorems and equations, I don't remember those. I did really well in calculus. I don't remember any of them because I don't use them because they don't matter to me. Math. Hard math. It's actually, well, anyway, so, um, so why should we? Because we've all sinned. We all have sin in our lives. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Adam and Eve were in the, were in the garden. They chose to sin. Because of that, every descendant from them, which is all of us, are born into sin. And there's nothing we can do to, to take it out of our lives. It doesn't matter if you ignore it. It doesn't matter if it consumes you daily. It doesn't matter if you sin once a day. There's nothing you can do to get away from it. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our payment for our sin is death. Some of us don't care. Christ came to the earth as a man, Son of God, to make that payment for us so that we don't have to live that death and we could care less. We're like, mm, that's, that's fine. I don't really care. I had an inkling that maybe, maybe I was convicted once, but it turns out it was just gas. Yeah, yeah it turned out I didn't really care. I hear it every Sunday, but you know what? It doesn't, make, doesn't matter to me. But, says that God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, while we are this flesh, while we do these things and could care less, Christ still died for us. And that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Christ died for our sins. He had victory over death. And now we have the ability to have victory over death as well by accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so, whoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When Jesus was praying to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, And this is life eternal, that they might know, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. 
So some of us don't even know God. But some of us, we belong to God, but we still don't trust God. Some of us don't trust God. And the only way to get to trust someone, though, is what? To get to know them. Man, if you come spend five days with me, and and at the end of those five days, I'm like, you know what? I trust you to watch my children. Then, Then I have trust for you. I've gotten to know you. If I don't spend those five days getting to know you, sorry, not four days or six, just five. But if we don't spend that time to get to know you, I'm not going to trust you. But we have to choose to trust. We have to choose to purpose to spend time with the Lord through reading and prayer. So David's victory was he chose to trust the Lord. And we have to choose whether or not we're going to do those things. And before God gives us great victories in public, like He gave David, He sometimes prepares us by giving us smaller victories at home. That victory of choosing to read the Bible every day. Those are the small victories that build upon the ability to have larger victories. Before David killed the Goliath in the sight of two armies, two whole armies, thousands of men, before this youth, before he came and killed a giant in front of two armies, He learned to trust God by killing a lion and a bear in the field where nobody saw it but God. When we prove that we're faithful in few things, God will trust us with greater things. And so if you don't know the Lord, talk to someone. If you feel like you need to trust the Lord more, well, talk to someone. If you don't trust a counselor to to share your heart with them, we'll get to know them. Ask us questions. Hey, what was it like when you were my age? Hey, what should I do in this situation? Hey, what's your favorite color? Hey, what's your favorite sports? Anything, anything it takes to get to know someone to learn to trust them. I know some of you and I don't trust you. But trust us that we desire the best for you and that we can help. All right, I'm going to pray. Lord, you've showed us... Um, that David had victory simply by choosing to love you, choosing to be obedient to your word, choosing to uh, consider you before others, consider you before himself. Um, Lord, you wrought these great victories in David's life, and there's nothing in our lives that isn't that can't be as great a victory. Uh, we might not physically slay a giant, but Lord, we might um, cast down that giant sin that's in our life because we've put our trust in you. And Lord, I ask that um, if any of us desire to know you more, Lord, that you would convict us. Lord, that you would um, help us put a plan together, if that's what it takes to do that. Um, That, Lord, you would give us these small victories, Lord, uh, that we can make those greater victories in our lives. And Lord, I also ask, Lord, that if someone doesn't know you as their Savior, God, that there would be a conviction from the Holy Spirit, Lord. There's nothing I can say that's going to make um, them desire you less or more, Um, but your Holy Spirit is able to do so much, and we just ask that it would move, Lord, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, make sure we have our room cleaned up.